Welcome to My Autism Tribe, a community of advocates that are linked by autism but bound by strength. This is a time to find our sounding board and shoulders that help us carry life's load without the fear of criticism. We give and receive. We nurture and empower. I'm your host, Susan Scott. Sometimes it's easy to get mentally stuck in a place of despair when caring for a loved one on the autism spectrum. All of the therapy appointments, advocating, and temporary setbacks can be overwhelming and discouraging. I always think it's important, however, to focus on the stories of success. Those stories that give hope and encouragement. Everyone needs us, right? Today's guest has many years of experience in providing care for those on the spectrum, and she has many stories that I believe will inspire us to all keep going. Joyce Pete is an occupational therapist, and she's been providing therapy for my son for the past two years. I've seen the progress that my son has made, and I've often relied on her to provide me direction on the best ways to set goals for social interaction, behavior, and classroom performance for Alex. Let's all give her a warm welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today, Joyce. I am super excited to have you on as today's guest. Joyce, why don't you start off by sharing a little about why you became an occupational therapist? Well, I grew up in Kentucky, where in a town that there were not any occupational therapists, like in the 70s that, mm-hmm. that I knew of. And my mother was a special education teacher. And she heard an occupational therapist speak. And at that time, I was leaning towards physical therapy. And she said, I think this is a great match for you. So that's how I first found out about it. And um, then, you know, so the rest is history. And I've never looked back. I think it's been a great track for me. But... Well, I let everyone know that you are Alex's therapist, ongoing therapist, actually. And I've seen so much progress that's been made with him. And you have, yeah, you're you're just amazing. You're so patient and you're so loving and compassionate. And you really do a great job. And I can be a testimonial for that and just really working with parents, um, you know, and setting goals for their kiddos. And so it's, it takes a special person to be in this field. And I really do believe that your mother was right when she said it would be a perfect fit for you. How, so you, you. you're welcome. You, so you go off to school and you're an occupational therapist. Now, how long have you been in the occupational therapy field? And did you always specialize with individuals on the spectrum or what has your experience been? Um, Not at all, Susan. I started out, um, I went to Eastern Kentucky University and then immediately moved to Dayton, Ohio area because my husband was in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. So, and it, the first 10 years I did adult um, rehab, working with individuals that had like stroke, spinal cord injury, that type of thing. And mm-hmm. then when I had children, it's kind of the the timeline that you would work, it worked out well to work with children. So um, I transitioned to pediatrics and then in... 1999 with a speech therapist and a physical therapist we formed a private practice called therapy connections in in ohio so i did that for 15 years and in that area of pediatrics you know had the opportunity to work in the schools and mostly in private practice okay 
and then I sold that practice uh, five years ago and moved to Lexington, Kentucky. So I supposedly retired, but I think it was still in my blood. So yeah. that that's how I met your Alex. You know, I, I just couldn't give it up yet. Well, it, I found out about you just by walking the hallways of his school, and I kept hearing this name, Joyce Pete. Joyce Pete is amazing, is amazing. And so I was like, well, I guess I better check this woman out. She sounds pretty awesome. And you are. Uh, you know, a lot of your, uh, you know, Alex has really bonded with you, and I think that's important to share with everyone, and that a lot of these therapy programs, no matter whether it's speech therapy or occupational therapy, ABA therapy, all of the therapies that are in these programs for our loved ones, it really does take a special connection to really make, I think, substantial progress. And you have a way with kids. Um, and that's probably from being a parent yourself. Um, not necessarily that, you know, it's needed, but I think it's, uh, it's been great for Alex. You've worked well, with, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, oftentimes I see, you know, new therapists that once they become a parent or once they get more experience, they just learn how to play more. Yeah. You know, and, and a child has to not realize that they're doing therapy. You know, the therapist needs to know you're doing therapy and have working towards the goals, but for a child, coming to therapy should be fun. Yeah, absolutely. And that, yeah, if they think they're going to play, they won't have any kind of qualms with going to therapy. Right, and you can get a lot more progress, so. Definitely. Now, you mentioned you were an occupational in a school setting and then private practice. And from my little experience and that I've had with Alex in a school setting, I my understanding is it's a little bit different in the fact that in a private setting you can focus a little bit more on the social or the play skills and then in a school setting they're really kind of focusing on making sure that that child is thriving in the classroom am I correct in thinking that way that is correct you're you're limited in as a school-based therapist because you're working out of a individual educational plan and the payment source, it's all the school system. So, you know, your goals are based on how they're achieving academically and helping them progress in that area, where in private practice, you're working towards, you know, what the family's goals are and the payer source is different, you know, mm-hmm. through private insurance or private. So, yeah, and I think it's important to have a a therapist that understands that so that your expectations of what a child is going to receive in school, you know, mm-hmm. you, you know those limitations that you can also kind of help guide a parent so you don't have those misunderstandings of this is what I'm supposed to be getting from the school, sure. you know, just because I think that can cause a lot of conflict with families and schools when they first move from education or only private I mean, from early education and only private therapy to dealing with the school system. Right. You're not necessarily going to be working with a child on brushing their teeth in a school setting because that's kind of home-based. And pulling them out for a one-on-one session. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's trying to work it into the school setting. But that's a great opportunity to work on a lot of those social skills because you have all those peers built in 
that yeah. you won't have the opportunity. And you can see behavior there that you may not see in a clinical setting. So, oh, sure. Or just challenges that they have. Sure, definitely. So with all of these years of experience and something that I really think is important as a parent myself and caregiver is that sometimes we get kind of lost in all of like the, I call it windshield time, you know, just the windshield going from therapy to therapy and, you know, writing all of these different plans. And it's all like so, excuse me, overwhelming. And sometimes it's easy to lose sight on the progress that maybe is being made, those simple little milestones that are being hit. And you've been a witness to a lot of these things um, that the families have been able to achieve over the years. And I thought it would be nice for you to share some of those stories. Of course, keeping in client confidentiality. and But can you can you share like some little stories of just success? I can. And um, one thing that I think I really have noticed, like I said, I started in pediatrics, you know, in the early 90s. And so, you know, this has been 15, 18 years of mm-hmm. knowing some of the same children. And I had an experience when I was visiting Ohio a couple of weeks ago. I'm involved. The the company in Ohio was Therapy Connections in Beaver Creek, and mm-hmm. I sold it. It was actually bought by a speech pathologist, so it's it's still doing great. Awesome. But I went back for a we have monthly social group called Friday Friends, mm-hmm. and um, we started that because I ran a summer camp and. Some of the children who came to camp didn't need ongoing therapy, but they had formed friendships and we wanted to keep those social opportunities. So we had once a month Friday Friday Friends. That's awesome. It it, it was really a great program and it's still going, but it started out being we thought, oh, this will go to age 18. Mm -hmm. Well, you still need friends after you're 18. (laughs) Some of these children, you know, have still been in it for a while. But when when I went back to Friday Friends, there was one child that didn't get picked up. You know, the parents came. I was so excited to talk to a lot of the parents. And then I realized that his little Subaru was sitting there in the parking lot. He had driven himself to Friday Friends. Oh. And I it just gave me it gave me chills because yeah. I first met this young guy when he was at camp required a one-on-one person with him because he would get so worked up over the weather. Is it going to storm? You know, anything different. He would always be on high alert. And Susan, the, the quote that he gave, he said to me when I was sitting inside with him, you know, he's still doing a lot of rocking and stimming. Uh He was so excited to see me. Yeah. And he said, Miss Joyce, I don't stem as much anymore because you can't do that while you're driving. (laughs) I thought, that is a very good point. But that he could think through this and share with me and remember how he used to be. Yeah. But I I have to admit, I was still a little cautious. Like, I wanted him to pull out of the parking lot first and I would follow (laughs) him later because in my mind, I still remembered, you know, all the issues he used to have, but he he now goes to a university. He's major majoring in geology. Wow. Um, so so yeah, I mean, he still had some 
some quirky behavior, but you know, it's it's awesome. That is awesome. And honestly, he's probably a better driver than a lot of people <laughs> out there just because he is on high alert, right? Right. right. That's what I'm thinking. And, one other driving experience I have is um, I know two other individuals now on the spectrum, and they are in their 20s, and just watching them as teenagers, at age 16, they had no interest at all in driving. Mm-hmm. So it was very, and now they're both drivers, and it was very slow process, just like they would be fine sitting in the back seat the rest of their life. Right. But their family really had to work on, no, you need to sit up front. You need to look at which roads we're turning on. You know, and it was just a long process of kind of talking about the rules of the road. And sure. then many, many months of just driving through the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. So, but now they're drivers. And, yeah, they, they do. They follow the rules. They probably never go over 55 or whatever the speed limit is. But so oftentimes these milestones, whatever they are, we think of milestones with preschoolers, Mm -hmm. but even as an adult, it just takes a longer amount of time, but they are achievable. Yeah. I stopped checking off those milestone boxes a long time ago. (laughs) It was one of those things. uh, I remember when Alex was, gosh, he, I don't even think that he had received his diagnosis yet, but he was, um, he never crawled and he went from holding my finger forever, it seemed like, and walking. And one of his teachers at his little preschool that he went to um, told me one time, you know, Susan, he's not going to go to college holding your finger, you know, uh, he's going to walk on his own. And that time, of course, you know, like I said, he hadn't received his diagnosis, but I got to thinking, you know, yeah, he's going to let go of my finger one day. And you made mention of, you know, you still wanted to have that child pull out of the parking lot first, you know, to, to watch. And my, my mom still does that with me. Uh, you know, she's like, wear your seatbelt. She waits for me to pull out of the driveway. So I think it's almost like a parental instinct sometimes too, in that, you know, we just want to protect our loved ones. Now, as far as, you know, we know that not everyone is going to be able to achieve that milestone of getting their driver's license or having a car and what are some of the other stories that you've found you know along the way with these you know individuals on the spectrum that have had success another story that really comes to mind is there's a young lady now that's in her 40s and she was maybe one of the first persons with autism that I really worked with because she got referred to me when I was in an adult setting Mm -hmm. through Bureau of Vocational Rehab. And she was referred because she was in a college program. She was going to be a interpreter for the deaf. Wow. But she had autism. So knowing most people you know with autism, that's not a great fit Mm -hmm. to be an interpreter. So she was very frustrated in that program. And just some of the occupations she's had, well, she volunteered at my camp, you know, Mm -hmm. for a number of years. And whenever there was a break, 
she was the one that definitely wanted to get over and go through some of, you know, the squeeze machine I had or Mm -hmm. just use some of the the sensory-based equipment. But as an adult, you know, there were very few opportunities that she could do that. But since then, she's been successful working, you know, at a dog grooming site, and now she works at a um, place that sells smoothies, and Uh she's been there like five years. So, you know, take takes the bus there. She's still not a driver, lives at home, but mm-hmm. very active on social media. And I, I've always been impressed with the things that she writes on social media because she has a really hard time face-to-face being able to express herself. Sure. But, um, so that's someone kind of in your 40s, but we've also had um, a couple of examples of young men that have volunteered at therapy connections that have kind of worked there as a teenager Mm -hmm. and one thing I could say that's always a challenge is you know just problem solving and if we change it up a little bit right I think that's our role as therapists and parents to kind of you know life is smoother if you keep everything the same but that's not the real world sure so what we've try to do in those work experiences it's just like okay this we usually do this this and this first but we're just gonna switch it up a little bit rock their world yes (laughs) you know be more prepared for the for the next job and so i i think that learning how to problem solve is what i see the most challenging Mm -hmm. in workplaces or as these kids get older yeah, definitely. With the transitions, I know we've worked a lot, you know, with Alex with the transitions. And sometimes it was as simple as transitioning from the classroom to the bathroom, you know, and and from one task to another. And so he, I'm very proud to say, has worked through a lot of that. And that has been great to see. And you know, something that may have been really simple for some of his classmates proved to be somewhat challenging for him. It's probably something he's always going to struggle with. But honestly, there are times that I struggle with transition as well. It's like, ooh, this doesn't feel very good. I don't, I don't like doing this. This is the way it's always been. I want it to stay this way. But um, he's, he's really good at pushing himself. How do you work with families I only know from personal experience um, and I want to say I'm one of the best parents you've ever worked with right (laughs) so (laughs) but I would agree that's my story I'm sticking with it thank you I'll pay you after we stop recording all right no but how do you like from the initial meeting sitting down with the parents and working with because I know that I've always questioned okay, how much progress can be made with Alex? Or what? how should I be setting these goals? You know, should, how hard should I push Alex? That's probably the biggest question that I have with all of his therapy providers because I want him to reach his full potential, whatever that potential may be. How do you work with families in establishing those goals? I think when you have a, a preschooler or the child that's just been diagnosed, I mean, the sky's the limit. Yeah. You don't want to, you know, squash squash any dreams at all because, you know, 
there is. There's tons of potential. And mm-hmm. just what I have seen from these children is I'm amazed at what kids have been able to achieve. Yeah. Um, I think what what you're doing by having your, your blog and trying to connect families through your autism tribe, mm-hmm. I mean, families need to hear these success stories. But then also, you know, you're providing a lot of realistic expectations for families too right. and Susan when you when you mentioned you are you know one of the best families <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. what, what I'm getting to here is that I've often think when I meet a parent wow I just wonder I would have liked to have met them before they had a child with special needs because oh. it does. It changes your whole it changes your whole world. Interesting. Yeah. And some of these parents that, you know, the first time I meet them is when they're really fighting in an IEP meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so I just wonder I often wonder about their personalities before or after and did this child make them be more of like I'm I'm gonna fight hard for you. That's I don't really know how I want to say that, but yeah, that is interesting because I I feel like okay, I'm the same Susan I was before I had a child and I'm still the same Susan that I was when Alex received his diagnosis. However, because I think a lot of the traits I've always been what I call a bulldog, you know, um and just if if there's something that I want and then I go after it and um and a bit tenacious, but I have to say, when you have a child that has special needs, it just rocks your world. And I know and was very fortunate to have grown up in a family that supported me um, through all of my challenges and, you know, and boosted me when I was successful. And I really just want that same life for Alex. And it's kind of one of those things where it's just like, I want to move mountains for him and do anything that I possibly can do to make sure that he has the best life possible. And it's with people like yourself that really help make that possible too, because it's not something that a single parent or just two parents can do. It really does take a village. Right. And I think just trying to... Back to your original question is, I feel like my job with a family is just empowering them, mm-hmm. connecting them with different resources that's going to provide them with the tools that they need at different stages of their child's development. Because just when you yeah. get comfortable in one environment, your child gets older, and it's a different environment and a whole different skill that you have to learn. You know, like driving, like sure. employment. Those things you don't have to think about yet. Right. You know, I've had the opportunity to really see children mature into young adults Mm -hmm. and to witness their journeys and to witness the family's journeys of, you know, like accepting this child where they are at different stages of their life. And the parents that picked up at the last Friday Friends were the same parents, but they were totally different than the where they were when they were dropping their child off as a seven-year-old at oh, a daycare. Oh, sure. Just their calmness about their child and their 
their story has changed. So it's it's just I'm at a, a great place in my journey as a therapist to be able to see this progress. And you know what's great about doing pediatrics is a lot of it is that natural maturity and progression with development. But I like to take a lot of credit as an yeah. occupational therapist. But you know. A lot of that just occur, occurs naturally, too, that, you know, we just have to take a deep breath and go, right, Alex won't be holding my hand when he goes to college. Yeah. It's okay. We're going to work through this. But. Right. Exactly. No, you should give yourself a lot of credit um, because it takes a lot of hard work. And it's not just occupational therapy is not just something that you go to school for and you read a book on and you know but it takes a lot of patience and I think it's in your DNA you know to want to provide for families and care for those that have challenges and just occupational therapists and speech therapists and how you all kind of work together I think the communication when it comes down to it everyone has to be on the same page and even though there are some points that I feel like it's interesting because when Alex was doing also occupational and ABA therapy and at you know one point in time we just did fully intensive ABA with Alex and pulled him out of speech and OT as well um, as you know and um, I felt like that was the right thing to do at that time knowing that we would circle back around to OT after he finished his ABA program but the communication was always there okay now the occupational therapist Joyce said something about this what are your thoughts on that and so all of these therapists have provided me the tools because I I didn't know what I didn't know and you guys are educating me just as much as you are educating and giving the skills for Alex too and I think all the therapists have we're looking at the whole child Mm-hmm. But just looking at them through a little bit different eyes. So, yeah. you know, that's why I bring all the information together. Because there's a lot of overlap yeah. between ABA and OT and speech and OT. But then, you know, we all have our specialty areas. And I think if you if you do have the luxury of being in an environment where you have all those working smoothly together, it is best for the child. But you mentioned taking a break you know, episode of care, you can mm-hmm. do a whole other session about that. Sure. Because, you know, it is important, I think, sometimes just to take a break, integrate all the skills that you've learned, mm-hmm. and then, you know, come back and get another dose once you once you find another area that you need to work on. Yeah, it's especially when first receiving a diagnosis, I know that I just threw myself and Alex into this whole whirlwind of therapies and because everyone kept stressing early intervention, early intervention, early intervention. And, you know, and, and even though I do so strongly encourage early intervention, it's absolutely critical in my opinion. When you say like take breaks and things like that, I recently had a mother reach out and ask about, you know, breaks. And I feel like it's just something that every family has to decide for themselves, like what what's working for them and just really make sure that they know that it is a marathon, not a sprint. And, you know, this is something that 
we're going to be having conversations with for a very long time, if not for the rest of our lives, and that's okay. It's just really focused on the individual in making sure that they're making progress, and if progress is being made, then you're on the right path. I agree. I agree. So, Joyce, thank you so much for your time. I know that you're busy in your retired life of providing therapy for all of these individuals. But thank you for everything that you've done for Alex. And thank you for being a guest and being a part of my autism tribe. Well, thank you, Susan. I enjoyed it. Occupational therapists are experts in the social, emotional, and physiological effects of illness. This knowledge helps them promote skills for independent living in people with autism and other developmental disorders. They're often a very critical piece in a developmental therapy program. But aside from all of this textbook knowledge and individualized therapy plans, they are a witness to the incredible lives of those on the spectrum. From beginning to end, they see it all and are inspired to make a difference in the lives of others. Thanks so much for being a part of my autism tribe, and I'll see you next week.